This is Croy from Vermithrax, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, what's up, people? Jason Newstead here. You're checking out Iron City Rocks. This is Eric A.K. from Flotsam and Jetsam. You're listening to Iron City Rocks, and it does. Welcome to episode 376 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Sean, coming from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We've got a jam-packed episode for you, so let's get started. Up first, we got an interview with Eric A.K. from the band Flotsam and Jetsam. Flotsam and Jetsam's currently out on tour with Hammerfall. They'll be hitting Pittsburgh on May 31st at the Rex Theater. Before we get that interview, though, here's a track from their latest album, Flotsam and Jetsam. The song's called Seventh Seal. Ladies and gentlemen, with me on the phone, I've got legendary vocalist Eric A.K. from the band Flotsam and Jetsam. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for taking time to talk to us. I've uh, been a big fan of you guys for a long time, so it's a real honor to, uh, to talk to you, have you on the show. Um, so let's, uh, let's get down. You guys, right now, you guys are out on tour with Hammerfall. Uh, tour started. It's about a little over a week old or so. Can you talk a little bit about how the tour's going? Tour's going really great. You know, I I really did not know a lot about Hammerfall when we started this tour. And I listened to a couple records, and I'm like, you know, 
I don't, I don't see how they're headlining over us, but then you see them live and you're like, wow, these guys really shred. You know, I mean, they, they're, uh, they're not really shredders. They're just, um, they're super pro and very theatrical and it's hard to keep your eyes off of them when they're playing. Though. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And it's like a show, like I mentioned, the show is coming here, Pittsburgh on May 31st. Definitely looking forward to checking it out. Um, so, um, what are you guys looking forward to most on this tour? You know, there's, uh, we're hitting some places we haven't been in a long, long time. And, um, there's a lot of old friends I run into that I've, you know, knew from back in the day, just hanging out with at shows or whatever. And, to see those people, you know, 20 years later is kind of, is kind of a, a cool thing. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I love our hardcore fans. They're, uh, they're super cool people to hang out with. They're always bringing us, you know, little gifts and stuff. So, right. you know, here's a, here's a local beer for you or here's, you know, whatever. Right, right. So that's, um, that's always one of the funner things in, uh, in touring is, uh, seeing people that you knew from back in the day and, um, meet new friends. Right, right. And, and you know, Flossom Jetson's been around, you know, 30-some-odd years. Um, you know, do you see a lot of younger guys coming to the show and getting into it? Yeah, and a lot of the older people bringing their, their right. teenage kids with them, you know, and they're all wearing, you know, Flossom shirts or Hammerfall shirts or whatever, and it's, uh, it's kind of neat to see that there's going to be another generation of old-school metal pretty much. Oh yeah, yeah. I know my son. He's ten years old, and he's getting into all that heavy metal and stuff right now. And you know, he's getting into all the old bands that I grew up listening to, which is really cool. Um, I'm hoping I can actually even bring him out to this show uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, now, you guys are opening for Hammerfall. What can fans expect from your set, as far as you know, what uh, what's going to be on the set list and whatnot? You know, we've been keeping it pretty old school on the nice. set list. Nice. Um, we, you know, we just went and did a big festival in Europe and, uh, they wanted, they paid extra money just to have the entire Doomsday record okay. played live. So we had to learn a bunch of songs that we haven't played <laughs> forever and ever. And we realized how much fun they are to play. So we're like trying to get as many of those in the set as we can now. Right. And, you know, a couple of new ones cause, uh, we're all in love with the new record still. So. Um, we we got to throw a couple of those in there. Speaking of the new but, record, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's it's a pretty mixed up set list as far as um, we're not doing any one era of flops, and we're doing right. a little bit of everything. Awesome. Now, uh, speaking of the new record, uh, title Flotsam and Jetsam, it came out two years ago yesterday. Uh, it's a great album. Um, it's the first album that uh, you guys recorded with Michael Spencer back in the band. Can you talk a little bit about how? him coming back helped with the writing of that or did it like help, you know, give it a jolt or whatnot? Yeah. You know, we picked Michael Spencer when uh Newstead first left the band. Right. Um, Spencer was in and we picked him for a reason. He's a good bass player. He's a, a really cool guy to hang out with. And, um, our manager at the time who was kind of like the sixth member really didn't like him and ended up talking us into getting rid of the guy. And and we kind of wish we never did now because he's back in the band and he's, he fits like he did when right. we first you know met him. And he's still a great bass player. 
um, it, it's um, it's very comfortable now with the guys in the band. We have, right. um, you know, I'm I'm not worrying about is somebody going to mess up or is somebody going to remember this or, you know, it, it's very comfortable. Everybody is super pro and everybody is uh, really linked into the songs and they enjoy playing them and it's it's very comfortable to play with this lineup. Cool. And uh, I'm sure that comes across on stage, too. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up and mention to kind of talk about a little bit was yesterday also marks the uh, 30th, 30th, 30th anniversary of uh, No Place for Disgrace, um, which, you know, really doesn't seem like it's been 30 years. Um, are you surprised that you guys are still doing this after so long? <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised I'm still alive after so long. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, I am kind of surprised that we're still doing it, but not, not that we're still doing it, but that people still want to hear it. That's the surprising thing, you know, and it seems to be coming back to life now, um, and looking a little more positive than it ever was. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it continues to be exciting for me. So I'm, you know, I'm going to stick with it as long as I possibly can. Well, one thing, too, that I, I kind of noticed, you know, like even just hearing like, you know, some of the bands from Pittsburgh and, and regional bands in the area that, you know, there are a lot of bands out there that you can definitely hear a Flotsam and Jetsam uh, influence in. And uh, one band in particular, uh, a good friend of mine, they, uh, they're they releasing their latest album. They uh, did a cover medley of Hammerhead and Hard on You. So, you know, you guys are still influencing all these bands. And is that, you know, how does that make you feel when you go out and you hear, you know, people influenced by Flotsam and Jetsam? You know, I've, um, I've been doing this pretty much steady since uh, 80 three, something like mm-hmm. that. And, um, you know, I've never, except for a six month break where I, I quit for some dumb reason. I don't even remember why, but, um, except for that six months, I've been doing this pretty much my whole life. And I've never really made huge paychecks or anything where, you know, I'm driving Ferraris around or anything like that. Right. It's always been a hard work, you know, street band kind of stuff and the thing that keeps me going more than anything is people telling me how much I've influenced them and the fact that they're in a band because of me and you know that's that means more to me than any paycheck right right that's that's one of the coolest things about you know being around for so long now, what's interesting, too, is a lot of bands from that era, you know, they're still around, they're still touring, they're still uh, producing great albums, but then you have these other bands that, you know, maybe come around for a little bit and then disappear, never to be heard from again. What makes, you know, Flotsam and Jetsam and the rest of the thrash bands out there so popular, you think? You know, I don't know. Um with us, it's a it's a really strange thing. It, we've got uh, a base of hardcore Flotsam fans who will not let us go for any reason, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's really kind of where we're at. I mean, we don't do a lot of album sales. We don't, you know, we we make just enough money to stay out on the road. That's it. Right. And um, it's 
you know, I don't know. It's it's weird. A lot of these bands are out there because at one point they did really great album sales and and you know they had a lot of interest in them. And ours is really kind of a, a cult following almost. Yeah. And um, you know, it's other bands that are are out there still doing it took breaks for a long time and they're back out, you know, Sacred Rights took a break forever. Right. Um, you know, all the bands, Metal Church took a break for a long time. Yeah. Um, Testament kind of did, but they're really kind of hardcore troopers too that just keep going. You know, mm -hmm. they're a freight train that just won't stop. Right. So, you know, we're, we're all just kind of still doing this, hoping with our fingers crossed that this is going to come back around and people are going to love this kind of metal again. And it's really happening now, and it's looking. Oh yeah, it's looking good. Um, with all the changes over the years, you know, you've got uh, streaming, you've got you know, the internet, you've got social media. Um, does that make that easier or harder for 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 bands? Do you think? Right now, it's much harder. Um, okay. You know, labels used to have a little more control over things. And they knew how to make the money. The internet came along and just said, no, you're done. And um, it's, you know, it, it was, it's a bad thing in one way, but once we learn our way around the internet and how we can use it to our advantage, I think things will pretty much get back to the way they were. They'll just be different, right. you know. Um, and then it, it won't be such a, you know, internet ruined the music industry thing. It'll just right. be internet changed it, you know? Mm -hmm. And we just all have to learn how to manipulate the internet to to get the music industry back to the shining star it used to be once. Right. Now, do you think as an artist that you maybe have more control now than you did 30 years ago? Yeah, I personally have more control, for sure. Um, you don't rely on managers and agents and labels anywhere near as, you, as much as we used to. You right. know? Uh, um, but when we were younger and relying on all those people, I just thought I was going to be a rich rock star for the rest of my life. And I had nothing to worry about anyway. You know? Right. Right. Some, some kids think that. So, um, the more I learn, the more I learn that I don't really need that much help. You know, you can do pretty much most of it yourself. Mm -hmm. It's, it's nice and make things e much easier if you use a good agent and you have a decent manager that, you know, is not just a lazy ass. It's, it makes things much, much easier for you. You can concentrate on music and performances and right. production and stuff like that. Right. But you can certainly do it all yourself if you really just knuckle down and went, I'm going to work 10 hours a day on a laptop and, you know, <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, they're still needed out there, but they're not quite as relied upon as they were once were. So they don't have as much control over your lives. Right, right. Now, does that free you up as a musician for writing? And do you feel any more freedom in that creative aspect of it now? Yeah, I'm having a blast writing. Cool. Um, you know, my our first five records, I've I wrote half of the stuff and the other half of the stuff was you know Newstead or old manager friends whatever right and and none of those songs I really were my 
part my brain all by myself. Mm-hmm. And so the last five, six albums we've done, it's been all me, every lyric on the sense. Yeah. And, and then it gets more and more exciting for me, every record, because I get to get, you know, I get to try to be all creative and come up with stuff and, you know, pretend I'm smart and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, it's really exciting for me to write a new record. I wish I could just sit home and write records and be in the studio twenty four seven. But, but yeah. um, you know, I'd miss the road too much, and exactly. people want to see us live. So, well, even now with the way things are, you can still probably. Do you find it hard to write on the road, or? Yeah, sometimes I jot ideas down, mm-hmm. but in the way I like to write is to sit in a dark room with the headphones on song already basically written okay. and I get to just play it over and over again and come up with little ideas and melody lines, you know. Right, right, right. And that works out great for me. On the road, there's too much stuff going on with people in and out of the bus all the time and all right, that. So. Right. Um, now, with the way, uh, you know, touring is now and then it used to be, it seems like now there's a lot more experience for the fans to meet the band and hang out with the bands and whatnot. Um, what's your thought on that? I mean, do you think that, you know, that also helps, you know, make the band more popular or whatnot? It does. And you almost have to, you know, the reason why there's a lot more of that going on, um, you know, VIP stuff and right. hanging out at the merch booth after the show and all that kind of stuff is because most of the bands that are still out doing it got their ego knocked in the dirt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're not going to be driving Ferraris around. You're going to have to work <laughs> your butt off driving in a van sometimes, in an old rickety bus sometimes, you know, right. whatever. And, you know, eating ramen to do this. And if you're willing to do that, you know, and so they're their egos are knocked down quite a bit. And I think a lot of bands that used to be quote unquote rock stars are now realizing, you know what, without these people here that I'm out signing autographs, taking pictures with, I'm not out here. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so that's, you know, a lot of bands are very humbled now and they're out here doing it for the better reasons than they used to. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think the fans are, are going to really benefit from that. Also, I think that makes the whole music experience a little more pure that it's, you know, it's from the heart, it's for the fans. It just gets it back down to what it's, what it's meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. And you get a little more idea of what they want, what they like, what they don't like, you know, whether that influences your writing or not is kind of up to you, but um, at least you know what, that your fans' favorite things are about you. Right, right, right. Um, one thing, too, that, you know, I've talked to some people about and always get, like, mixed reactions to is there's a big thing with crowdfunding now. Is is that something you guys have ever looked into or what are your thoughts on, on bands that are using that as, as a way to, to help put their music out? You know, I'm not really... We use that for our um, Ugly Noise record. Mm-hmm. And we funded the whole thing off of that. And we did a, you know, not too, not too aggressive um, money point that we wanted to get to. We got there pretty quick, made the record, and that was that. But mm-hmm. some people are like taking advantage of it and getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars when they ask for thirteen grand to make a record. 
Right. And um, for some reason, I just don't think that's that's right. right. I mean, you use the funding to get the job done, and then you go out and sell it like a normal record. Yeah. So, but other than that, I really haven't seen a downfall to the thing. Right. Um, You know, you can sell stuff like we had, like signed guitars you could buy on top of the on top of pitching it for the record. You Mm -hmm. You know all kinds of stuff so you know it gives the fans a little more uh, opportunity to be involved in the record process we put we listed everybody that funded ours mm-hmm. on the record and listed them as the executive producers right you know I mean? right so it's uh it's kind of a fun thing and you send them little updates while you're recording hey how do you like this you know stuff like that so it makes them feel like they're involved in the actual making of a record and uh, you know, all of it together, pay for the thing. So that probably helps strengthens the connection between the band and the fans. And I'm sure you know, even that comes out. You know, when you're out on the road and you see, uh, see right. the audience members, you know, thrashing around to the music. Um, now with now, the thir- now getting the record to the people, actual physical copies and stuff yeah. like that. That's a pain in the butt. That's oh, yeah. It's just like, man, I wish I was on a label. I wouldn't have to do this crap. Right, but, right. But uh, other than that, it's it's really a cool thing. You know, dis- distribution, you still need a company or label company of some kind for. And so you're really not getting away from them completely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can end up, you know, instead of the $2,000 some indie label offered you to make a record, you can end up with $25,000 to make a record. And, Go right. hog wild with it. Right now, it seems too even now that some. This is probably usually now. Sometimes you're in a way to even get a physical copy of the, of the product anymore. With a lot of the stores, you know, disconnect discontinuing album sales and making it harder to buy a physical CD because um, everyone's streaming or you know using iTunes or Spotify or whatnot. Um, which I think, personally, I think you know the physical copy is something that. There's always there. You have that tangible thing, you know, the smell of the binder notes and, 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 and whatnot. So I think that's probably one of the bigger advantages of the of the crowdfunding is for those people who want to collect those physical copies. Yeah, um, Europe's really big on that stuff still. They sell yeah. just as many final as they ever have, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the U.S., people are a little more – a little more – technical savvy i guess it's just like oh i got my phone right here in my hand why do i need to go buy it <laughs> right right, you know? right it's which makes sense but still it's not a physical thing you can read through and look at the j card while you're listening and all that you know right right um you guys have any plans for uh you know celebrating the 30th birthday of uh, no place for disgrace you know we really um I've been kind of so busy with the, making the new record and stuff. We really haven't had time to plan anything for it. Right. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of European festivals that'll want us to come play that whole record. So right, we'll right. probably start rehearsing for that at some point. But um, we really don't have any big thing planned for that. Cool, cool. Now you mentioned the new album. Is there anything you can tell us about the new album? Uh, it'll be out November 9th. Awesome. Um, it's, it seems like the A-list songs from the last record. Okay. Basically. Nice. Like, um, we made two albums worth of music 
and we put the ones that were okay on a record, and <laughs> the ones that were really good are this next record. Nice. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, would uh, definitely be looking forward to that one because uh, the last album was awesome, so this one's going to be uh, kick-ass too. It sounds like. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping. You know, at first when we got done recording it, I'm like, um, I don't know if I like it or not. Right. You know? Every single song sticks in your head, but I'm like, I don't, I still don't know. And the more you listen to it, the more you're like, this thing is really cool. Awesome. So, now, typically, how long is it? The, oh, and hopefully, the fans will love it too. Definitely. Um, now, typically for you, how long does it take for you to actually get to a point where you listen to one of your albums like this thing is awesome? Um, it, that's weird because the really good ones that hit well, mm-hmm. um, it took me a while to get used to them before I really liked the song. Okay. Um, I always write a song and I listen to it and I go, is this just me that likes this or is somebody else going to like this too, you know? <laughs> and um, when it takes a while, it's usually one of the records that uh, that turns out the best and that is one of the more favorite ones. Right. So um, that's why I'm kind of excited about this new one because it took me forever to like this thing. Nice. And uh, now I can't get enough of it. Cool, cool. Well, I can't, uh, can't wait to hear it, and I'm sure uh, all the fans uh, are anxiously looking forward to it as well. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know uh, you guys are traveling or whatnot. You guys got a show tomorrow night in Baltimore, so I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us, and I uh, wish you good luck on the rest of the tour, and I uh, can't wait to see you here in Pittsburgh. Oh, thank you very much, man. Yeah, we're, uh, we're actually a day off in the middle of a long drive right now. We're going to go see... Uh, Deadpool 2 awesome. and then get back on the road so cool cool alright well thanks again Eric it, it was a pleasure talking to you right on man thank you okay I'd like to thank Eric for taking the time to talk to us again Flotsam and Jetsam's currently out on tour with Hammerfall definitely check them out they put on an amazing show they also got a new album coming out on November 9th the new album is going to be called The End of Chaos up next we got uh, no stranger to the show we got uh, Croy from the band Vermithrax Vermithrax is going to fill us in on their uh, Kickstarter campaign and uh, we also talk about a few other things uh, before we get to that interview though uh, continuing with the Flotsam and Jetsam theme uh, here is Vermithrax's take on uh, hammerhead and hard on you
right, ladies and gentlemen, with me on the phone, I've got uh, Croy from the band Vermithrax. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Thanks for uh, talking to us. Uh, welcome back to the show. You were on just a little bit ago talking about uh, the exciting uh, Kickstarter campaign you guys had uh, for your upcoming EP, uh, Imperium Draconis. So uh, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what's been going on with that since we last spoke? Yeah, so uh, we put the uh, Kickstarter together, um, you know, being basically an unsigned band trying to uh, get your your product out. It really is a, a, a unique way to, you know, approach your fans and say, you know, who's who, who wants the product willing enough to, uh, you know, pre-order it. So we kind of treated it more as a pre-order campaign than just a, a typical Kickstarter. Right. And, um yeah, it worked to our you know worked to our advantage. We put some cool packages together, um, or at least we hoped they were, and uh, and then prayed that we would hit our goal, so that we would be able to piece together everything that we wanted to have for this um, release. And um, it ended. You know, I don't even know towards the end of towards the beginning of April, and uh, we hit our goal, which was. Um, we, we were just shy of five thousand dollars, which is uh, a little more than we even were anticipating. Right. And uh, yeah, it was huge. It's such a it's such a huge thing. I mean, I don't know if um, the average person uh, really understands, but you know, the, the the music side is pretty expensive. And uh, you know, oh, yeah. uh, uh, that five that five thousand is spent. Uh, you know, they take they take ten percent. Uh, Kickstarter does, right? And so that that disappears before you even see it, and then it takes about thirty days or fifteen days to thirty days for you to even see the money, um, and that's when you could start the process of you know whatever it is you need to start moving on, you know. And a lot of the stuff was like the, the stuff that's going to be in the packages, so shirts and sweatshirts and hats and patches and stickers and um, you know, and then getting the CD mastered by uh, Chris uh, Zeus Harris, who did um, Queensryche, Sanctuary, Iced Earth, uh, Rob Zombie, you know, and so it was a big deal for us to kind of get him involved, and there was an expense to that. And then uh, we wanted to put on the EP a um, Flotsam and Jetsam tribute song, like a medley, um, because we're huge fans, and we feel like they've always been the band that just never got their what they deserved, you know, they, they were on the road all the time and they, they played a lot mm-hmm. and they were a huge part of the thrash scene, yet they just never got the opportunities. It seemed like a lot of the other bands got. So, uh, we wanted to just show some love, you know? And so we, we did that and, you know, we wanted to do that right. So we contacted the company that buys the rights and allows you to basically put your stuff out legally, pays for all their publishing and, right. um, that was a little more expensive than we originally anticipated, but still worth it because, you know, it's like, that's their material. We want to make sure they get compensated and, um, you know, we want it to be a great experience, not just for us to do it, but for them to hear it and for our fans to, that are maybe, maybe they don't know who Flotsam is and they're going to discover them, or maybe they love Flotsam and they want to hear a different band's take on what Flotsam has done. So, um, you know, without the Kickstarter campaign, there's no, there's no way we could have done it to the mm-hmm. level that we've done it. Um, and some pretty cool things have come out of it. Um, we uh, want one of them being that 
there was a group of songs that we were trying to, to that we had written earlier that we recorded and mixed and uh, it was just a matter of getting those together and we weren't initially going to have them on the EP but once we were able to get those songs get them to Chris Harris and have him master them with the other songs it was pretty clear that it really represents a, a moment in time for the band right. and that they really should be on there. So it, it went from being an EP that everybody, uh, you know, was chipping in for. They're all going to receive actually a full album. Nice. So, so it's um, like a street hit a stretch goal without actually having to hit that stretch goal. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, initially we didn't even think we were going to put those songs out for a while but they're really good songs. Like they're, they're some of the best stuff we've done. So it was kind of a, a catch 22 of like, Oh, we can't afford to put them out the way we want. And then here was this opportunity to actually do it the way we wanted to at the mm-hmm. level. And, and uh, it couldn't have happened if we didn't have so many like diehard supporters that just were immediately behind us. And, um, you know, and it helped us make this happen. So like for the band, there's how could you be more appreciative than that? Right, right. I don't even I don't even know how to frame that because it's <laughs> it's you know you you sign to a label it means somebody somebody doesn't necessarily mean a bunch of people but somebody at that label believed in you but when you do something like this it's like everyone you that you have been has been part of your musical journey actually are behind you right and that's that's that feels I don't know that feels bigger to me it it almost feels like this is kind of how it should be. <laughs> Exactly. And, uh, we and we weren't even sure when we did the the thing, but you know, the whole Kickstarter and crowdfunding and all that. It's a mixed review between people. Some people, I hear a lot of bands say they don't like the idea, um, and most of them are signed, so right. I can understand why they may feel that way. That's <laughs> a, a little biased, but I understand. Um, and then the others are, you know that are behind it are like, well, this just makes sense. I'm just ordering the album. I'm pre-ordering the album just like I would from a label if I really liked a band. So, um, except that they get really cool prizes and they're getting stuff that is exclusive to this Kickstarter program. Like we're making a t-shirt that will never be available any other way. And the idea is we want them to have something that they can always say, I was part of that from the beginning. And, you know, that you can't take it away from them when they have something no one else has. So um, I, I truly feel like it's a win-win, and you know. and Oh, yeah, especially when you start offering the, you know, limited edition, never going to get anywhere else merch and things like that. And it just, you know, you got that, you build a camaraderie between all those people. And, you know, we help support the band and, 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 you know, we've been there from the beginning. So when you guys do blow up big, you know, there's always going to be that group of fans who were there from the beginning. Yeah. And you always hear about what is it? The, the metal militia brigade right. that helped Metallica take off, you know, and they're still friends with those guys. And it's, you know, like 30 people that supported them at the very, very beginning. And, you know, when Metallica goes to the area, of New Jersey or whatever, where uh, Johnny Z was from, where they got signed to Megaforce, mm-hmm. they always make it a point to kind of see those people. And it's like, they understand that nothing else would have happened without those people. And I think that's a very, that's a unique thing. You don't see that often with bands, but as a fan, I would love to be the one that helped somebody get somewhere, you know, right. like, I think it just makes sense. And um, it's almost like, you know, people will buy stock, 
in a company and not think anything of it. But really, this is buying stock in a band. Exactly. Because if the band, like you said, does take off or at least get their music out there, you're still part of their history forever. And I think that's something that I don't even know if you could put a price on that. I think that's just kind of above and beyond. And, you know, the CD itself is going to be hand numbered. Um, it's going to be signed in, in a lot of cases. Uh, some of the packages have the fully signed CD. So that's just one more little perk, whether, you right. know, that, that just makes it a little more special. And, and then uh, each piece, every time you move up, you get a different piece of merch that is kind of exclusive to that again. So, Right, right. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned you know, so there's like a love-hate relationship with the crowdfunding or whatnot. But, you know, I think it does take power away from the record labels and gives it back to the bands. And, you know, yeah, you still have a need for that label and whatnot, but the power is more in the band's hands, I believe. Yeah. And honestly, you know, we, we've spoken to a few labels since this has been done. Mm -hmm. And um, all the labels we've spoken to, um, I shouldn't say all, I, some specific labels that we spoke to right. said, uh, you know, I don't think we would have ever been able to put $5,000 into your album. So, you know, one kudos to you for even being able to raise those kind of funds. Mm -hmm. They were kind of blown away. And, um, and, you know, they basically admitted that, you know, that they don't have that kind of money anymore. You know, labels aren't what they once were as far as the amount of income coming in. It's just not the same. And so even for them, it's a struggle. And so this really is about as grassroots and DI wise you can be and uh and, and honestly i i don't think of and i've you know we've in past bands uh reading zero mm -hmm. I, i've released stuff and i've had a, a closeness to specific people that were a huge help but there was never like a group a big group of people that you were like oh they were like paramount in making this happen right and so there really is a unique kind of like you know, for lack of a better word, like a love for these people that you're just like, wow, they really are helping us do what we love doing. And we wouldn't be able to do it like that without them. Like it, it's truly a symbiotic relationship that you don't get any other way. It's right. pretty cool. Right. And I think too, I mean, just thinking about that and thinking about, you know, the role of the band, the role of the label or whatnot with the way social media and the crowdfunding and, and all those little new i guess music economic you know the parts of the new music economy or whatnot um a good pr person is probably more needed than a, a label anymore yeah in fact that probably is the main person running the label now is somebody that's good at pr somebody that really truly understands you know analytics which mm -hmm. is not something i'm strong at but it's something i hope to learn more about and um you're truly understanding the new culture that is the internet, you know, and how right. that's going to affect the stuff in the future. And part of that is embracing the fact that these kind of crowdfunding things really are unique. Um, and they're doing something for bands that labels can't even do anymore. And so for us to, to have that, that was already the win. Um, but from that, it also told some labels that we were interested in working with that we're worth working with. That, exactly. You know, if if we can generate that just from our, you know, from our social media pages of just saying, hey, by the way, we need our hands. If you guys, you know, if you're into what we do, 
you know, this is how you can help. And to see us raise those kind of funds really sent a message to some people. And we had some friends that were um, interested anyways. But Mm -hmm. I think once they saw that, it was like, well, there's more to this than than we thought. And um, it gave us an opportunity to speak to um, a label that we've wanted to work with, which is um, Dive Bomb Records. And Mm -hmm. we are going to basically, it's kind of a partnership between us and the label. And the label is relocating, coincidentally, to Pittsburgh. Nice. And um, they're from Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, It's a division of Tribunal Records. And uh, Matt, who is the the main guy behind the label, um, has been putting out a lot of, he puts out new music, he puts out, really cool reissues of stuff that like went out of print that you can't find anymore mm-hmm. um, of all kinds of different genres of metal. It's not just thrash. It's not just hardcore. It's not just, it's real. I mean, he does every type of genre. He is a metal fan and is like, if I like that, I'm going to put that out. Nice. And that's such a unique thing to see. And um, it gave us a unique opportunity to kind of come to him. And, uh, you know, we'd already been, kind of going back and forth uh between people saying to him you really need to get a hold of these guys and then us being told you know that's a really good spot for you mm-hmm. and um i had a dinner with matt uh about a month ago uh in greensboro and i traveled so i was down there anyways and we had dinner and what you know it was supposed to be an hour dinner was i think you know four hours of making jokes and and talking about all these bands that most people have never heard of in their lives that we both grew up on and love. And, um, once I realized if he was sitting in our band room, that would have been the same behavior between all of us together, talking about the kind of music we grew up on and what we love. And it was the same stuff. I was like, wow, I I don't want to sign to a label that is only looking at dollar signs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand that's important as well, but but I do want somebody that really has a passion for, for metal and, and for music. And, and he definitely does. And anybody that knows him, right, cause I've heard it a million times from other people, you know, Oh my God, you need to meet him. You guys will get along so good. And, um, they were right. I mean, as soon as we hung out, it was just like, I've probably known this guy my whole life. Like awesome. very, yeah, it was really cool. And yeah. so it was a pretty easy decision for both of us to just kind of, by the end of the, the conversation, it was just like, we need to work together. Yeah, right. we do. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what happened. So, right. you know, it, I don't know whether it would have happened in the same way had we not um, kind of had the ball already rolling. Uh, it might have taken longer. And so that's the next That's the next step to this is um, we have to get the, the CD to the support group, to the guys that, to everybody that, that, mm-hmm. that supported it. And we were going to do that as, as soon as the CD is completely ready and printed. And, you know, the minute we receive it, we have almost everything back. Oh, nice. Very close. Yeah, we have stickers and hats and patches are being made right now. And the shirts and sweatshirts, I believe, are being made right now. And the CD artwork is being approved in the next day or two for final. Uh, we've gone through a couple different changes and, mm-hmm. um, to really make it cool and uh obviously the music's already mastered and then it's just a matter of getting it to the label but um you know dive bombs already got their markings on the album and it's it's moving forward 
And, um, yeah, I mean, we're hoping just like anything, if you say this is going to happen in a month, that means it's going to happen in three months. Right. No matter what, something is going to step in the way. And that's, that's happened to a small degree. Um, right. And we've overcome a lot of the, the, the obstacles that have been thrown just coincidentally at the wrong times right in front of us. We've gotten through all of them except for just getting the CD done, printed. Um, but I can say that uh, the guy that does the graphics for Dive Bomb does the layout work. Is the same person that did all the layout work for the, our album. So it's going to have that same level of quality, which is one of the things I really liked about Dive Bomb is if you've right. seen any of the reissues, there's always like a booklet and there's mm-hmm. always cool stuff in it and there's always like just a ton of stuff to visually capture you that that feeling like when you bought an album when you were a kid that same kind of thing where you're like oh this is not just a cassette you know remember right. the cassette it was just the little j card oh and yeah like, that's it there wasn't even lyrics in it you're like oh my god this sucks well, right it's like the j card that falls out for a mile and a half now yeah yeah it's that one that you were like it smells like candy when you open it yeah you're like Oh, and you pull out the tape and then you flip out, yeah, like 30 folds and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be reading this all night. <laughs> and uh, there's something to that, you know? So right. I'm excited about uh, the great work that he did with the graphics and uh, putting stuff together and, and really getting the vibe of the band kind of into the artwork. Um, the cover was done, so we knew that was going to be, you know, what we wanted to kind of represent us. But um it's you know it's kind of a lot of subliminal stuff and it's it's more modern it's not as cartoonish as most it's a lot of metal covers um right you know it's kind of a modernized thing and um so i'm really excited that once people see it that's going to be the first impression and then when they put the cd in and they hear what it sounds like mastered now because even for us we've heard these songs a thousand times oh yeah when i when i got them back from mastering I really wasn't thinking there was going to be a massive change because I've heard these songs so many times and I didn't play it until I had the whole band in the room. And it was like, this is the master CD. And we played it and all of us were like, Oh my God, that's wow. how we wanted it to sound. Like, we awesome. couldn't have, Yeah. It couldn't have been better. It really was cool. Like, okay, that's what from, from the perspective of a band that doesn't have the budget of a label, it's, it's mind blowing how great it is. So I'm really excited for people to hear it because I think from the EP to now, and you've heard some of the newer material, we're a very different band. I mean, we're definitely heavy, but it's a very different band. We've definitely learned more about songwriting and it it shows in the music. And I think think when people hear the whole thing and they hear a whole CD instead of an EP, it's going to open some people's eyes as to, you know, the potential of the band. At least I hope. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, receiving my uh, my package. So I uh, uh, can't wait to hear that. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about the Flotsam medley because, you know, we, we recently talked to Eric from Flotsam and Jetsam. And uh, have any of the guys got a chance to hear the medley yet? Um, I know that uh, Michael Spencer and I were talking because, um, and that's the bass player for those right. who don't know. Um, that's, at the last time they played in Pittsburgh, he came out, was hanging out by the bar where I was, and we started talking. So I met him there. Um, I, I think I met him way, way back, too, like when he was in Flotsam originally. Right. And um, so, and then 
after that show, we went outside and we met Eric and Michael Gilbert, which uh, was really cool because uh, I've, I've I've only seen them like hanging out with them uh, one other time, and I can't remember what year it was, but it was the Quattro tour, mm-hmm. and a really good friend of mine knew that my birthday was coming up, and so he had said, um, you know, for your birthday, we're going to take you out and have you have dinner with Lawson. So I went to Boston. Uh, they were playing at the Paradise, and there was a Thai food place right next door, and it was literally like them, um, Eric Braverman, which was they used to call him like the secret sixth member of the band. I think he was there too, um, and then my buddy Chris uh, Renpage and myself, and I don't even remember if anybody else was there. There might have been one other person, and. We all sat around this table. We ordered a bunch of different food, and we all just shared food. And I was like, "Wow, I'm having dinner with Flotsam." <laughs> and you know, at the time, they were one of my favorite bands, so it was right. really like couldn't have been a cooler moment for me as a kid, you know. And so, um, uh, you're know, talking to them outside at the bus. They were really cool. And at that time, we hadn't even we hadn't done the song yet. That was uh, probably a year and a half ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I was in Florida last week and I went and saw them with Hammerfall and um, I I met Michael for a little bit. uh, I I saw um, Michael Spencer and um, earlier and we talked and then I saw Michael Gilbert and him and I had been going back and forth online about the tribute. And then so I sent him a mastered copy and um, they didn't have internet when I sent it to them. So I have no idea, you know, if they've listened to it or not, but I do know that, um, you know, they, they will have to eventually hear it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was really thankful, which was really cool. He was, you know, he thanked you know, and and was very cool about, uh, you know, that I sent it to him. I originally sent him the demo version. Yeah. Probably, uh, eight months ago around then. And he had just sent back awesome. So I know he listened to it then. And that was the predicate for us to say, okay, let's why don't we put this on the album why don't we you know pay for the rights and actually put this out because if if he's okay with it that was really our fear is that they might have an issue with somebody one covering their stuff or two blending them into a medley that isn't how the songs originally were so because it goes from hammer hammerhead into hard on you back into hammerhead right and um we weren't sure if you know you never know how people could be about their, their art, you know, if you mess right. with it. So, uh, I know, I mean, even talking with, with Eric about, you know, bands, you know, being influenced by them and, and you know, covering them and playing them back and, and, and things like that. And he was, you know, very moved and thankful that, you know, there's bands influenced by him and, and, and Flotsam and, and, and seeing that influence, you know, mentioning it was almost better than receiving a paycheck or whatnot. So I think, you know, bands like that do really appreciate it, especially the bands that have worked so hard like Flotsam and Jetsam and, you know, are extremely underrated and really should be a lot bigger than, you know, they were at that time. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Flotsam probably more than the only other band I've probably seen as much as Flotsam and Jetsam is another band called Wargasm, which is mm-hmm. from Boston. Yep. Um, and because they were like the local thrash band and they, I went and saw them every time I could. And so I saw them and Flotsam each, pro- at least 10 times each, at least. And um, wow. 
I've never seen Flotsam have a bad show, ever. Like, it didn't matter what the lineup was. Like, you know, obviously they went through a slew of bass players after um, Jason Newstead yeah. left for Metallica. But, I mean, I've seen every incarnation with every bass player. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen all of them. And um, the band was always on fire. And Eric A.K. was my favorite, one of my favorite vocalists from the day I first heard him sing. I was mm-hmm. just like... I've never heard anybody that sings like that. I don't even know who to compare him to. Like, it's like, oh, that's the Eric AK voice. Like, there is nobody else. There is not, like, oh, he kind of sounds like this guy or that guy. It's like, no, there is no one that sounds like him. And I mean that in the best way, because it's really hard to be an original voice. Right. You know, you know you're going to get compared to somebody usually, but I, I don't know who you'd compare him to because... It's such a unique and expressive way that he sings. It's almost the same way I feel about like Chris Cornell mm-hmm. or Jesus Christ Superstar. Like there's this thing that I don't even know what it is. It's this this, this range and there's a this, this magic that's there. And you know, I, I don't think I've ever I yeah, I've never seen Eric have a that you know, what he might consider a bad night. It's still so much better than most people have right. on their best night. Right. So, like seeing them in Florida, and now it's been how many years since you know I first saw them on the uh, uh, No Place for Disgrace tour. Uh, that al- that album um, just turned thirty years old too. So it's yeah. It's... So there you go. Singing <laughs> like that for thirty years or more, more actually. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, he killed it. Oh yeah. Everybody, I think anybody that was a Flotsam fan in that audience, when they were done, we all kind of walked back to the bar or whatever, and you just saw everyone looking at each other, shaking their heads like, God damn, that is Flotsam and Jetsam. Like, that is, and their new drummer is great, too. Um, <laughs> super energetic and um, does a lot of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I don't want to say aerobatics or you know but he's right he's spinning sticks but he's doing it all within the timing of the song there's no you know and he was having fun with it he was throwing sticks up and doing stuff but like that's not easy to do when you're playing flotsam and jetsam you know and he's playing early stuff you know kelly david smith was a badass drummer to begin with and um just was you know it it was so great because it re-inspired me. I knew the song was coming out and I was, you know, and I know they're going to, I knew they were going to sound great, but to watch, that was their first show in the States for this tour. Mm-hmm. And they're on tour right now with Hammerfall. So, and they're coming, you know, when they're coming to, they'll uh, be here in Pittsburgh on May 31st. Yeah. So that's so next that week. show that anybody that hears this, that lives near Pittsburgh or sees them coming through on a tour. Don't miss this tour because one, Flotsam set, their, their set list is awesome. It mm-hmm. is the best of everything, as best as they could do for a small set, you know, right. for a smaller set, because Hammerfall had a pretty big set. But, you know, Hammerfall, Hammerfall came out and killed it, too. Um, but I'm just, I'm so partial to Flotsam because of, right. you know, I've been, a, I've been a fan forever. And uh, I, I really want to see them go out and do a headlining tour again, because they've got so much material they can't even touch, and it's all so good. There's so oh, much yeah. great I mean, I don't think they played anything from Quattro. Um, I think they played Smoked Out, but they didn't play Empty Room from Drift. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's just so many songs they could have pulled out of their hat and just killed. And um, to watch them play that set 
pretty much. Oh, and their monitors weren't working. I mean, they had everything <laughs> that could go wrong for them was going wrong, and it just didn't affect their playing. It didn't right. make them psyched because they were like, fuck, my don't have any monitors. But um, they they sounded great from the audience point of view. Awesome. And again, Eric A.K. just absolutely, oh yeah, with his leather his leather throat, he just <laughs> destroyed that place with strength. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them. You know, Flotsam's one of those bands they've been going around for over 30 years. They released an album, even their last album, which was released two years ago. It's still an awesome album. They're still going. They're still putting out great albums, and they got a new one coming out this year. So you know, that's one of those bands that you really hope that uh, get the recognition that they deserve. Yeah, I saw that. Eric I posted something today about, I think it's The End of Chaos is the name of the new one. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come out in November. Yep. Like, I, I can't order that fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a no-brainer, especially after the last two albums. I think yeah. The Cold and this last one that has um, Iron Maiden on it. Yeah. Um, They're and, a uh, self-titled Life album. is a Mess is a great song. Yeah. Like, just, it sounds like Flotsam. Like, a lot of bands kind of become something else. And so when you look at a career that's as long as theirs, they're not even the same band anymore. Right. But Flotsam should really hold their head high by knowing that they really have stuck to their guns. And really, they've always sounded like Flotsam. You know, they may have progressed here and there and done different things, but they've always remained a sound that really doesn't sound like any other thrash band. They really have a unique yep. approach. And um, they, they should be proud. I mean, Definitely. I, and I... I hope everyone goes to see them. If you've never even heard of them, just go see them, and then you'll buy everything they have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you know, like to mention, they'll be here next week in Pittsburgh, and uh, the only thing that make that show even better if Vermithrax was opening, but uh, don't think that's happening this time, is it? No, no, we got that. I think we were the first band that was asked, and um, with me traveling so much, I wasn't sure right. if I could guarantee that we would be here. Or I would be there. So, um, what, what day is the 29th fall on? 31st. It's, uh, next oh, Thursday. Yeah, it's next Thursday, I think. It's a Thursday, yeah. See, so already that's a challenge for me because I'm gone during the week normally, but right. I, I'm going to see if I can find a way to get back if it's possible. I know some of the other guys are probably going to go because how often does Flotsam come through? But, exactly. Um, and where are they playing? Uh, the Rex Theater. Oh, that's a great venue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to see them, that's a place to see them, I think. Definitely. I think some of our best shows that we've ever had were there. I mean, Metal Church at the Rex has always been just crazy. Just oh, yeah. Just a great showing and a great crowd. And if they get half of that, they'll be happy. And uh, the Fates Warning show was another real good one there. Oh, that's right. That was a great show. I'm still blown away by that one. <laughs> and they just released a new live album that, from this tour so everything that they played on that tour at that show at, at the Rex they have on in their new live album oh cool I gotta definitely check that one out somehow that uh, that one slipped by me but, yeah I uh, think it's pre-order right now I believe I don't think it's even out yet but it's gonna be all right, Chris. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure having you on. You're always welcome to come on whenever you want. Uh, really happy things worked out great with the uh, Kickstarter campaign, and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, receiving that album. Well, uh, thanks for your support. And if anybody's listening, they should go to uh, Pittsburgh City Paper, find it, go to their page, 
and vote for Iron City Rocks podcast as the best. Um, I, I don't know what it's under. Is it best podcast or is it best entertainment? Um, you it's know, a category. Yeah, it's. I, I want to say it's culture and nightlife, um, but I have to double check. <laughs> I think it is under culture because I went there today. It's a little. It's a little convoluted to get in there, but once you get in, um, vote. If you listen to the podcast, show some support because you know I, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and. I appreciate all that you guys do. So, um, you know, I'm definitely going to vote for you guys. I hope some other guys do so you guys can get some love. Oh, cool. Thanks. We really appreciate that, Chris. All right. Thanks, Chris. It's always a pleasure talking to Vermithrax. Up next on the program, we have from the legendary band Diamond Head, Brian Tatler and Rasmus Anderson. Uh, you may know Diamond Head as a part of the new wave of British heavy metal that influenced many bands over the years. Metallica covered Helpless and Am I Evil, and uh, they'll be here at Jurgles on May 30th. Uh, before we get to that interview, though, here is a song called Bones. This is from their 2016 self-titled album. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line from the legendary band Diamond Head, we have Brian Tatler and Rasmus Anderson on the line. How are you doing today, guys? We're doing good. Thank you very much, John. Well, fantastic. You guys are going to be in on Wednesday night to do a show in Warrendale just outside of Pittsburgh. Um, I know you guys have been in Pittsburgh a few times over the last couple of years, um, and it's great to see you guys, uh, you know, touring. Uh, you know, in a lot of years, I think a lot of people would have loved to have seen you guys, uh, you know, doing shows, and it, it's almost like a resurgence in, in the Diamond Head career. Do you feel, in that sense, when you, you know you guys are touring, that you actually are sort of building momentum? As odd as that sounds, at this stage in your career, I think there is definitely a resurgence, um, and of course, with that comes a certain momentum that you have to keep a hold on. Um, Carl, uh, our drummer, who's been tour manager band for quite a while, has really worked hard to get us into the U.S. and get more. Mm -hmm. shows and touring going on over here and uh it's it's definitely happened the band has toured a couple of times in uh the u.s um the last couple of years and the first time was that 2013 mm -hmm. 2011 actually was the first time and then steady steady onwards from there we've kind of come back and uh we always enjoy touring here it's great because we keep meeting new fans and old fans yeah, and and it's another. I think one of the things is maybe has helped is you know obviously you've gotten a lot of praise as a band is, is influencing some of the you know the big heavyweights in metal, but you were a band that it wasn't easy to hear in 1987, for example, or 1988. You know there wasn't it wasn't easy to get your material necessarily. Um, 
has the have you felt the digital age kind of benefited you guys in that respect? You know, you can go on Spotify and pull up old Diamond Head albums, you know, as opposed to milling through import bins and things like that. Absolutely. I mean, the digital age has uh, sort of opened the door to the entire world with very easy access to, to hear any of the material, mm -hmm. whether it be on YouTube or Spotify or any other streaming services. Um, so it's definitely opened up, you know, um, an easier connection to, to fans to actually hear all the old material and get into who Diamond was and who they who we still are. Right. You know, so it definitely definitely helped in that sense. And I think it, it's it's uh, it's an easy way for a lot of new bands as well to get. Um, you know, some attention, even though it's a bit of a clutter out there with everyone trying to grab people's attention with their music and, yeah. and their art. That is, yeah, you know, the other side of the equation. You know, you, there is so much. You know, but I think back to you know, if you're reading a magazine article and you know your Hit Parade or Circus, whatever the you know the United States metal magazines weren't a band mentioned. You know, we were influenced by Saxon or Motorhead. You know, Motorhead we kind of saw, but you know there was some band. You know, Saxon wasn't you know maybe on MTV the way. You know, a lot of the you know the big heavyweights of thrash were, so you know it wasn't easy to hear you guys. You weren't necessarily on terrestrial radio in the United States. Um, you know, even bands like Iron Maiden necessarily weren't, but they had the benefit of MTV and the you know that kind of rotation. So, it's it's nice now to be able to do that. You know, unfortunately, it maybe came a little later than you would have liked, but it's it's great to have that presence of Diamond Head in the United States. You know, stepping into that band. Um, you know, with with the the history and, and the catalog, how as a singer you try to adapt to that. You know, because every singer has a different voice. I mean, guitarists can monkey around with effects to try to emulate you know a predecessor, but as a vocalist, your your voice is your own. You know, how do you how do you combat that? Well, I think um, for starters, when I came into the band, it was very important. Once I'd, I'd gotten into more the music and understood the history of the band. But it, was, it felt like it would be very necessary and important to try and just do the back catalogue justice. Coming in mm -hmm. as, as a, a third singer in the band, um, and after having done my research in that sense, it, it, that, that was sort of my, my going point to, to try and, and, and sort of win over the fans, if you like, and, and make sure they, they understand that I appreciate the music. So um, for me, it's, it was very much for trying to, to sound as much sort of as the original without trying to sound like I'm saying copying uh, Sean right. or Nick but there is a, a distinctive sound to how, how those songs are sung so sometimes I pull out various techniques here and there to um, sort of get that Sean-esque sound right. um, but you know it's, I think some songs I, I do also add a bit more my own flavor and even sometimes I sing them a bit heavier because maybe they need it yeah. you know, a song like uh, Am I Evil or The Prince they, it's such energetic music and so powerful that I do add a little bit more of a modern touch to that um, in that aspect you know but as long as um, you know as long as the fans can see that I'm trying to do the songs as much justice from the original versions I think uh, I think we're kind of <laughs> doing alright do you feel different the different um, kind of welcoming from the UK fans versus you know maybe the United States or the rest of the world maybe fans that you know were able to see Diamond Head you know, in those kind of early years, who you know had a face to put with with the band, where in the United States, you know, maybe we didn't even know what the singer looked like. Um, mm -hmm. You know, does that do you, do you feel any difference in the audience? You know, how they accepted you as no, as a not member? really, not really. I think in general, it's always been very, very positive. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very rare that I have any negative backlash, and again, I think that's because 
I, I try and do the song as much justice to the original versions as possible. Uh, yeah. You know, with all the little details in, and, uh, and textures that uh, Sean or Nick uh, would do. Um, so I think it, it's always been very, very positive, and I'm, I very rarely had anything that's kind of come back as a, a backlash, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes people people might even know when I actually joined the band, so sometimes you have someone, I saw you back in 1982, I say, that, that's really impressive. Yeah. I wasn't born. <laughs> do, you, do you get um, but, you know, so, you know, people... The fan who comes up and wants you to sign, you know, maybe an old, older album. Do you, do you get a lot of that as well? Who just have no idea when you joined the band? Yeah, no, you do get that. And I'm, I'm usually I will say, do you, are you sure you want me to sign this? Because I, I didn't perform in this. I wasn't actually there. So I give them the option with all right. with complete respect. If they didn't want it, you know, it's up to them. It's, it's their albums, you know. Yeah, yeah. Here's my borrowed time record. Would you sign this, sir? And you know, then then it's kind of awkward. You know, if you say you're not on it, then you don't want to insult the guy. <laughs> you know, insult you and say no, yeah, don't exactly. sign. But you know, hey, it's it's still uh, it's it's a good thing. And I, I look at you know in situations, you know, you look at a band like Queensrÿche uh, is maybe a great example mm-hmm. of, of where a singer steps in and is very uh, graceful and and very. Uh, honoring of, of the material and I think fans accept that you know it's maybe when you go up and blow Absolutely. it up and make it sound totally different or you know get into the the press wars but you know you know I think if you stay above board you know fans yeah. are pretty respectful um you know I think the Absolutely. thing Absolutely it's know, um you know it's it's sort of that it's as a thing if when you step into a role of someone else's material that way you you have to understand that this is what other people maybe grew up listening to mm-hmm. they have a, a, a very deep connection with it where one way or another a very personal connection for when they listen to that music and you have to respect that and yeah. sort of meet them at that level and sort of as a, as a handshake of I understand this is very important to you as it's important to me so let's make this the best we can right yeah. you get what I mean and the, and the other thing is you've got to consider, you know, if, if you hadn't stepped into that role to take over those vocals, perhaps the band isn't touring right now. You know, maybe you shut it down and, and they go on, you know, uh, you know, bands that go into kind of a dormant state because the members can't get along, you know. So there's, there's something to be yeah. said for, for keeping Diamond Head alive, uh, you know, through your efforts. So, you know, I, I it's admirable. Well, I appreciate that. I think it's a team effort, regardless. We all sure. get really, we we all get along really well here in the band. You know, it's, yeah. it's all happy smiles. It's hard work, but we all pitch in and, and do what we can for each other. Sure. Um, I have a question for Brian. If you've been uh, obviously there since the inception of the band, um, you know, highs and lows. Um, what does it mean to you to still be able to to be out on the road? Um, you know, in 2018. You know, taking know. this band to it, the masses. It, it's not. It's not something I ever imagined. I, uh, yeah, I can remember, like you know, early eighties. I had no idea that the band would continue decade after decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems to keep rolling for as long as we enjoy doing it, and uh, people want to come and see the band and get excited about the records. I mean. The last album that we released in 2016 got very good reviews, fabulous reviews. So that that helped everybody's confidence and uh, willingness to, you know, want to do more and carry on. Uh, so, you know, it's great that it's still going. I'm proud of this band and, and uh, I still enjoy playing the songs. 
Was there a time where you had to kind of consider maybe the band wouldn't continue? I mean, obviously you had kind of, you know, a pretty long hiatus for five, six years um, that you had yeah. to kind of reevaluate. Do I, you know, am I going to do something other than music? Is, you know, this is the end of this? Or did, did you always kind of keep hope alive? Um, yeah, I did for a while. I, I was just an engineer in, in a studio um, and I've done guitar lessons and up mm-hmm. in other bands and covers and things so I didn't think that you know David was the only thing I had I uh, I was prepared to look around and see what else I could enjoy doing mm-hmm. uh, and and of course you know after after Sean went uh, you you because your singer is a, you know a very important part of the, the band sound uh, it did seem a bit strange to try a different singer, but uh, you get over that initial sort of fear and uh, and, and then move on, really, and just, you know, if you get good uh, feedback, you know, uh, everybody seemed to like uh, the band with Nikin and, of course, with uh, Razin, so yeah. we just keep going forward. Uh, yeah, I've no reason to, uh, to, to stop. At the moment, yeah. Listening to the to the Diamond Head album, you know your your 2016 release. Uh, obviously, you guys have still got um, that kind of great Nawabum sound. Um, it doesn't sound dated, yeah. but it, you know it doesn't sound like you're trying to sound ultra modern or you know some sort of you know yeah. FM you know modern day kind of metal. It sounds you know like a cleaner recording of what you would expect you guys to sound like. Um, which I think is really enjoyable because it's it's what you expect from as a listener. Do you have plans of doing another studio album, or is it is the economics of the music industry kind of make that a we'll wait and see sort of thing? Um, I, I think it's a neat trick to pull off to to make an album that still sounds like you know there's a there's a new Oberham influence in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could touch on the classic diamond head, but because it's changed so much. Recorded a new album. Uh, was that was done last year, and uh, we've been mixing it for several months on and off between gigs. And uh, okay, we've got really one more song to go, and and then it'll be ready to. Um, you know, we, we're still deciding on what we're going to do with it labor-wise. Right. Um, we want to get it out, you know, as soon as we can. And we, it's really good. It's, you know, we think it's uh, an improvement on the last one. So we, right. we hope everyone else will feel the same way. Brian, when you're writing a song, you know, for a Diamond Head record, you know, how, you know, that's got to be something that's kind of tricky, you know, you know, still sounding like no album, but not sounding like, you know, too contrived. You know, a lot of the songs, yeah. you know, that, that people know, you know, the ones that maybe Metallica made more famous, you know, you were a, you're a pretty young man when you wrote those songs, you know, as time goes on, yeah. how do you continue to write songs that are of that same vein when you're in a very different place in your life now? Uh, it's definitely not easy. Um, all I can do is, is appreciate that there is a style mm-hmm. and, uh, I come up with certain types of riffs and like the chords I use and uh, probably the, the music that influenced me right. is just still there. So I think what we do is kind of filter out things that are possibly too modern or too right. proggy or this or that. 
uh, and we focus on things that sound very diamond head. Uh, I've definitely come up with riffs in the past you know, 10 years or so and think, oh, that's, that's a classic diamond head riff. Mm-hmm. So sort of squirrel that away for, you know, when the writing session uh, happens and you think, I've got this riff and I've got this riff and uh, this is just a way ends up uh, sounding like Diamond Head and as I say the, the chords and things that I, that I use uh, uh, it's just it just must be the way I have um, maybe assimilated all my influence yeah. over the years uh, and uh, I just uh, come up with hopefully another great Diamond Head song and it, it, it's really hard to, to repeat say an Am I Evil or something I don't really yeah. want to but it would be nice to write another song that everybody was excited about as, as uh, the reaction we get to Am I Evil Live sure. but uh, that is really tricky but Your, I'm yeah, not going to have that song as a, as a big song uh, uh, and you know try and try and come up with something uh, as good as possible but it is a, a tough trick to pull off that's it. You're exactly right. I mean, and, and you you want to write that song where it still sounds genuine, but it, you know, sometimes you know you, you don't yeah. want it to make it sound like you contrive to write a hit. You know, let's write no, something. No. I don't alter- think I don't think uh, we, we contrive it. You know, it, mm. it is just a, a feel thing. Yeah. Um, as I say, you kind of filter out things that you think, nah, that's not that's not right, or that's not going to work, or that's right. too much like this or that. So yeah. it's just a filter process. I've always come up with lots of ideas, and I like to come up with more songs than we're going to use. So right. you can you can scrap some or put them on the back burner, you know, to sure. be reworked another day. Sure. Okay. Well, that's fantastic, Brian. I, I want to thank you and Rasmus for for your time again. You guys are going to be in uh, Warndale outside of Pittsburgh on the thirtieth of May. Uh, we look yes. forward to seeing yes. when you guys get see you when you get into town next week. Okay, I'd like to thank Rasmus and Brian for taking time to talk to us. Again, Diamond Head will be at Jurgles on May 30th. I'd also like to take this time to mention that the Iron City Rocks is a finalist for Best Local Podcast in the Pittsburgh City Paper Readers Pool, and we would greatly appreciate your uh, vote. Uh, that about wraps up this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to drop us a line at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our social media pages at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.